what I want to talk about today is um, a, a slice of um, uh, my larger um, dissertation project um, and the themes um, about how the 1990s and 2000s um, played out in different parts of the country in different ways and the legacies that they have for expectations of the state and contemporary, contemporary um, distributive politics. And I gave a seminar yesterday which was focused on sort of lowland areas. I'll give you a little taste of that uh, sort of argument that I'm developing about um, uh, Bamar Buddhist majority areas. And then um, I want to think a little bit uh, today about um, uh, some of the comparative uh, dimensions of um, uh, these, this, this argument. So um, we're thinking about how the 1990s played out differently in lowland and conflict areas, um, unsurprisingly, um, but also how this shapes divergent expectations of the state in provision of services and, and public goods. And then think a little bit about Korean state um, and uh, more comparatively about studying political culture within different parts of the country and how that shapes the context of political transition. So this research is based on um, 16 months of fieldwork I um, did in Central East Myanmar. Um, uh, it was interesting to hear Martin talk about um, Tanggu as the, the sort of um, as part of the Karen imaginary um, of, uh, of Karen state in the, in the um, early independence um, period. And, um, and my research is predominantly in the kind of lowland area of uh, central uh, East Myanmar in Tangu, which is where I spent the vast bulk of, of my time. But uh, as a lot of you would know, Tangu is a sizable Karen community. Um, I met a lot of um, very close Karen friends um, and um, engaged in a lot of, uh, with you know, a number of Karen projects that took me up into Northern Karen state. And um, uh, most of my work is participant observation, ethnography, um, and interviews. Um, but I was also, also had the chance to do a 1,000 household survey, um, 500 households in each township, and I can talk more about the methodology of, of that. Um, but it was split between rural and, and urban areas. And in Dandanji, um, that survey was split between the three major um, uh, regions in uh, Dandanji Township in northern Korean states, so Leko, Dandang, and um, uh, Borgali. Um, so the key kind of causal argument that I want to get us thinking about, um, uh, not just in relation to Karen politics, but also uh, Burmese politics more, more broadly, is that differential experiences of, of the 1990s and 2000s um, have generated informal institutions, is how I think about them, of sort of ideas of solidarity and also hierarchies around patronage and the ways in which the state is accessed um, that are continuing to shape today expectations of the state and the role that the state uh, as opposed to citizens and communities should play a role in providing um, social security and social protection as well as public goods and I argue in um, my larger dissertation that I'm, I'm currently writing up that this is shaping distributive politics in, um, you know, in really important ways but today what I um, want to talk about just briefly is, is situate this within the nature of the 1990s and what in government controlled areas I call authoritarian <coughs> welfare capitalism. And we see, as we all know, socialism goes bankrupt in 88, and we see this sort of transition to military-led capitalism, where you see a drop in the state's percentage of GDP from about 45% in 1985 to less than 7% in 2006. Um, we know that provincial military commanders played a big role in this transition, in dispersing licenses at a provincial and regional level. And most of the studies about this, these dynamics of provincial level patronage come from ceasefire areas, uh, especially uh, Kachin and Shan states uh, in the 1990s. A lot of great work um, by people like Mary Callahan, Ken McLean, um, Kevin Woods, uh, looking uh, at these dynamics of 
uh, ethnic armed groups and um, Atatmagal commanders and um, business elites linked to both those groups and these sort of hybrid forms of governance that we see emerge in ceasefire areas. Um, we've had comparatively little research on areas that were under conflict in the 1990s and the dynamics of non-state welfare and institutions, as well as government control areas. Um, and so most of the way that we think about government control areas is that we had this sort of direct rule during the British period and direct rule during the military period. And my larger dissertation is sort of trying to unpack that idea a little, little more and make an argument about sort of indirect rule and the off-putting of state obligations especially after 88 in government control areas. Um, so um, in, uh, just briefly, in my research in, in lowland areas, um, I focus a lot on private and charitable welfare um, groups, of which, um, uh, as we, we know, sort of community-based organisations proliferated across the country in the 1990s. Um, and my argument is that the ideology embedded within a lot of these groups, the identity, is of sort of individual responsibility that's very much grounded within a um, Buddhist moral universe often, but often just religious moral universes of compassion and obligation to provide assistance. And um, my larger argument station is about the, how these are proving durable in the context of the political transition and off-putting uh, or uh, mitigating ideas of entitlement from the state. Now, in northern Korean states, um, we see a very different kind of dynamics. We don't see, because of the nature of conflict until 2012, we see a very different kind of dynamic of um, you know, the, the absence of widespread uh, entrepreneur, um, an entrepreneurial class, as well as these modalities of uh, government contracting which occurred um, and licensing which occurred in, in lowland areas. And so we see in sort of mixed administered and conflict areas that churches and kinship networks um, are essential to social protection. And, and anyone who works in these areas wouldn't be surprised by that. And the, the KNU, especially in areas closer to the border with Thailand, played a really important preventative role in, in, in health. But this was especially limited to areas that were sort of KNU administered. And Dandangji is an area where, especially as you went through to the later um, uh, 1990s and early 2000s, there was encroaching government administration, especially in areas around 13 Mile, that before you go up into the mountains of, of Dandangji or down into to Bogoli. And so in this context, you've got non-state actors playing a similarly significant role, as you see in, in lowland areas. Um, but you also see, which is a significant difference from lowland areas, the absence of private clinics because of the nature of the conflict um, and the, also the, the limited uh, discretionary income of families to, to pay um, uh, for access to, to clinics and hospitals. And so we see a lot of people having to travel down to government hospitals in 13 Mile and into, uh, uh, and into to Taungu, uh, into central Myanmar, in order to get access to government hospitals. Um, and this is quite different from lowland areas, government controlled areas in the 1990s, where we see um, private clinics uh, and hospitals uh, blossom throughout the late 1990s and early 2000s. So you have an ability in of especially Burma Buddhist populations in lowland areas to simply opt out of reliance on the state and government uh, services in these sort of mixed areas. Whereas for Karen populations in northern Karen state, there's an extreme reliance on government uh, uh, um, uh, services and this continues today and we see this in the survey. Um, and so we see sort of charitable support and provision, non-state um, provision often through churches, um, you know, support for maternal groups, for um, uh, elderly in the community, um, support for people when they uh, have a health crisis in order to pay for medical bills. Um, and, um, and we see so this, this issue where 
Korean communities going to use um, government facilities and often also encountering discrimination when, when they um, use those um, facilities. And so we see a similar kind of pol um, uh, systems of non-state welfare, but a very different kind of politics um, emerge around non-state welfare. And so we see a sort of political discourse of, of churches and kinship networks, which were focus on the failure of the Burmese state to provide, as opposed to a notion of individual responsibility and compassion to provide. Um, and these have framed, um, uh, been framed around common experiences of uh, you know, the poorly resourced government hospitals that have to be used because there are no private clinics in order to, um, to, to opt out of. Um, and this is often contrasted with the political vision, uh, even amongst you know, church leaders and others in civil society and community-based organisations who don't formally work for the KNU, but often just talk about the KNU's much more expansive vision of the role that the state should play in <coughs> caring for citizens and providing support um, to our Korean people. And so we see um, this is uh, the survey data that we actually found in uh, March 2016 last year, where we see that government health facilities were essential for uh, people in, in, Dana, in Dananji. So this was, um, uh, we split this into government providers and, and private providers. And in Tangu, 40% um, of households are relying on private providers for the primary source of emergency health. And that's less than 10% in Dananji. Over 70% of households in Dananji are reliant on government services. Um, and, uh, and so we get this interesting kind of differential experience of the 1990s and uh, in the contemporary context of, of um, uh, welfare provision. Um, and uh, what I, the point I'm trying to make here is that this has implications for conceptions of the state and the role that non-state institutions should play. And so one of the questions that we asked when looking at these two townships um, was uh, um, we asked people to agree with you know, um, a whole variety of different statements and then measured that variation in, in how much they agreed. And so we asked them, should religious institutions be the primary carer for people when they encounter a, a major incident of suffering? Um, and uh, what we found was that in, uh, not in lowland areas, um, we have over 90% of respondents saying that religious institutions should play a significant role in the provision of support for people when they suffer. This is over 25% over higher than what you see in Dananji. So you've got a, a, quite a significant, about a quarter of respondents in Northern Karen State who say, actually, I'm not really sure that churches should play that kind of role because that's the role that the state should play. And that was a recurring aspect of a lot of interviews I did with community-based organisations and um, other organisations in Northern Korean State. So we start to see different expectations of the role that... Uh, that the state should play and non-state uh, actors should play, um, even though you've got quite similar systems of non-state um, welfare provision. Um, and uh, another area where we see this as well is uh, around road construction. And so we see interesting similarities in terms of the experience of having been involved in what's referred to in Burmese as self-reliance uh, road construction, go to go ta. And um, we see that uh, when we asked households who built the road nearest to your house um, over 50 percent of uh, households in Dandangji said that they built that road or that motorcycle um, trail often themselves and over 60 percent of households in Tangu um, described these roads as self-reliance um, but we see a very different when you ask people who should build the road a normative question we see 
20% less respondents, again, in Standard G, who said that the community should play a role. So we've got similar kinds of dynamics of currently who's building public goods and who should, in the ideal situation, build these public goods. And we see a, quite a different uh, uh, expectation, again, embedded within a larger politics of abandonment that I argue that the state has abandoned you and failed you, and that's why we have to do this work. And that's, this, this is how I argue that we end up with quite divergent expectations of the role of the state. This is another interesting question that we see when asked about what is the best definition of taxation, um, that the vast bulk, uh, uh, over 25% uh, 20, uh, more uh, respondents in Fanel G, say that tax is nothing but a duty. You get nothing in return. Whereas in Tongu, we see a larger proportion of respondents saying that you pay tax in return for services, and you pay tax as a, a donation for the welfare, or contribution to, for the welfare of others. So we see a very strong uh, differentiation between lowland and upland areas in this context and the legacies of the 1990s and, and the very different ways in which these um, areas were run during this period. So just a few um, conclusions to get us sort of thinking. So as I said, my argument and the larger argument of dissertation is that the experiences of the 1990s that citizens had um, have shaped political identity because they created these informal institutions of non-state welfare and patronage that are continuing to shape distributive um, politics in really important ways. So this helps us to, to, to I, I think it should encourage us to think more comparatively outside of, uh, even within the areas of Korean state that we work, to think with comparatively within Korean state and to think comparatively between Korean state and other parts of the country and what that tells us about the nature of political transition and political culture and the trajectory of political development. And especially, I argue that you see very different ideas about the role that the state should play in people's lives. And this is going to play a major role in debates about federalism, for example, where citizens in Northern Korean state and uh, other parts of the country have a strong expectation that the state will play a more significant role in their lives in provision of welfare and local public goods. There's also an opportunity here for, given the reliance on government health facilities and other kinds of facilities in Northern Korean state, for there to be a significant investment in health facilities to employ, train and employ local Korean nurses, teachers, and integrate them into the government apparatus. So there is a better experience that demonstrates that there's a commitment of the government uh, in order to uh, uh, improve local uh, livelihoods and health. But this is ultimately also about a politics of, you might say, intermediating development. Who is the one who is bringing support to the community? And the larger politics of, the, of abandonment, that the state has abandoned you, on which the KNU and other similar organisations have uh, mobilised citizens, um, is essential to engage with. Ex simply expanding um, uh, economic mm -hmm. Uh, activity in places like Northern Korean state that didn't see such widespread activity in the 1990s without addressing questions of autonomy and substantial federalism where Korean communities feel they have a say over how the government functions is not going to address the underlying politics of, uh, of abandonment and will end up with a, a governance apparatus where there is very little congruence between what citizens expect and what the government actually looks like. Thank you.